Welcome to Tavern Talk. We are Tavern Talk. Dun, 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 dun. Copyright. Wow, really? Yes. <laughs> this is the continuation of our Tavern Talk uh, revolving how world creation is, how pacing of DM's games are. Um, and part two is going to focus a little bit more on the pacing aspect and then a little bit more on whether or not you are born a DM or if we're all Talibla Rasas or whatever it's called. Now, that's not, that's not exactly what we're going for here. But, um, yeah, we're, we're picking up from that idea of drawing maps to making games to having acts one, two, and three, to DMs getting screwed by players, to players not enjoying the game by DMs, into how we choose to play D&D with our friends. So, I will lead us in with a general starting point, and that is, through the history of playing D&D together, uh, the most knowledgeable player was the DM in the beginning, and then whoever felt like doing the work afterwards became the DM. Um, so, in the beginning, it was the person who knew how to play D&D had to become the DM. Mm-hmm. So if you are part of a group where you are the only person who knows how to play D&D, you obviously can't make another player be the DM, and that makes sense. From that idea, before we top into the other idea, um, should you be training players to just be players first and then DM second? Or does it make sense for a new player to learn how to be a DM from the start of the game? Like, what if he comes into the game and says, oh, I really like this, but I want to learn about DMing, not so much about playing the game? What do you guys think? Well, to be able to be a good DM, you should know about the game. From a player standpoint, is it important to know from a player standpoint? Or is being a DM that much different from being a player? I, I think that if you enjoy the game as a player, you might decide that it, it takes initiative from a player to become a DM. I think that's the biggest part of that whole question. If a, I know many players who just they feel apprehensive about taking over, whether or not they feel like they, they no one feels like they know enough. But as listeners have heard from our conversations, we talk about on the fly, and for the most part, we're just, all of us are at this point where we're like, yeah, we really don't care enough about the rules that let's just make it easier for us, you know? Some people feel more intense. Some people feel like there's too much pressure to have four people rely on them to write a story, to create things that they've never done before. And with the rules being important, um, I think flexibility is a big part of that. And I think uh, kind of thinking on your feet is a big part of that. And a lot of people just feel really nervous about being the center of attention. So that's interesting. So... One big aspect of being a DM is you do have to have a certain personality, you're saying. Because you got to be quick on your feet, you've got to not be nervous, like you've got to be someone who's not afraid to be in front of others, or at least in front of your friends. Yeah, and, and, you, and you have to be able to say, I might not know everything, let's take a quick second. Like, you can't be embarrassed about being the center of attention. I think that's the biggest part of it. The rest of it will fall into place, but if you don't like four people looking at you while you're talking and while you're making voices and doing all these like different like hand gestures and stuff, I think that you would enjoy being a DM. So I think I'm the only one who ever asked, would ever ask this question, but is it fair to force every single player in your group to become a DM at one point, even if they're like that? In a supportive group. And is it beneficial? Yeah. Someone else take the stage. Yeah, why not? I mean, if you're supportive, then it's, it's like a no-judge kind of thing, and you can do a one-off and give it a shot, and then if it really... If you flounder at it, then you don't have to always do it. But is it beneficial to the experience of D&D for everyone at the table slash them? Like, does a DM's perspective become an important part of playing D&D? No. Uh, I think that it can be beneficial. So the funny thing is, is that if you're a truly um, supportive group, then you wouldn't force somebody to be a DMM, right? It's true. Because if they say, oh, I just don't think I can do it, then theoretically, if you're supportive, then you won't force them to. Right. 
unless you know i suppose depending on your uh definition of supportive and whether or not you believe that for the betterment of a person who should be forced into a situation that he does not enjoy right right, right. But, um, i do think that it helps to have the dion's perceptive per, uh, perspective because it's one of those things this is actually something that i was thinking about pointing out while we were playing was the uh, when ben brought up the reaction the um attacks holding your attacks when he talked about holding your attacks that's something we don't think about as players we just like okay i hold my attack and then it's my turn again after i hold my attack you know mm-hmm. and it's one of those things like from the dm's perspective you can see why that role is in there that the initiative changes to have your initiative swapped after you've held attack because when the monsters start doing that all of a sudden you start dying as a player right so having the dm's perspective puts different rules into perspective as to why they exist and why you should follow them instead of just saying, okay, we'll just ignore that and house rule it because it's too complicated for us. Right. Yep. Sorry, but that is saying, if you're in house rule, that's a DM's discretion. So if I'm a player... Uh, well, but it's in... What I'm saying is that there are... Um, like it's nice to, if a player knows that it's a nuisance... I'm trying to think of the word. It's, uh... Well, go ahead. Uh, so I, well, to add on to your point, Reed, um, not necessarily with, like, that kind of deal, but if a player... And I feel, like I, I feel like I was like this, honestly. I feel like if a player feels like, oh, you know, I don't like this one house rule, and then they decide that they want to DM, then all of a sudden they realize that the DM has a lot tougher of a job than a player, and I think that you have a level of respect... For the DM, like I definitely have a level of respect for Ben and Sam and you, like when I was under you guys, way more now that I've had to like get together people, write a story for them, figure out how to even make everything. Like you don't, it's kind of like if you play a video game versus you create a video game, you have a respect for people who can create that kind of stuff. If you just show up to the table and you play, I'm sure a lot of players and a lot of groups have that feeling where it's like. Well, my job is to show up, and the DM has to bring everything to the table. They have to know everything. They have to be able to entertain me for hours at a time. Whereas I think that if, if you have tried DMing, you realize to give the DM more, and you realize to be a better player for that DM, too, to make it more enjoyable for everybody. So I'm just kind of adding on to what you were saying. And just a simple statement on Matt. That was the direction I was going to take it, too. Like, you guys are taking an interesting direction. But my, my idea with it is when you become a DM... You stop being a moocher. You start learning how to add to the game better, too, because the DM knows better than anyone how to add to the game. So once you DM... Well, it's crazy up there. (laughs) Once you DM, you learn how to add to the game better as a player, which I think is very, very beneficial. The word I was looking for was asymmetric. It tends to be asymmetric house rules, where the players get certain house rules that only benefit the players, and the DM never takes advantage of them because they would just crush the players for them. Right. Which is why when we started 5e, guys, I wanted to start with something as rule-oriented as possible so I could stop feeling bad when you guys get upset with me. I'd be like, blame wizards. Um, and it's happened a lot so far, and I still like feel upset whenever, like when someone gets upset when they feel something's unfair or whatnot. But, you know, it's just like uh, the house rules are, are dangerous because generally it's just cheat codes for the players. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we can't be bothered with this house rule. It. 
Uh, they're never cheat codes for the DM, because if they were cheat codes for the DM, the DM would be mean, quote-unquote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the players would be upset about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is also why it's nice to be the DM, because you realize it's not personal. It generally isn't personal, at least. I mean, mm -hmm. do you guys think a lot of our house rules, we say, like, oh, this is... I think a lot so of the house rules we one. do are... Well... I mean, it's easy so, to speak in abstractions. It's yeah. hard to get concrete. I'm trying to think of anything we've done in... Like, okay, so house rule... <laughs> A lot of the times we do, sorry, I didn't hear you, Jimmy. When we do like random things, I don't look it up for Pathfinder, and we just say, "All right, how's this DC sound? Make it." And then I don't think I like jack it up or lower. I think a lot of that. If you were to say, "Well, the if you're going to be climbing a wall or climbing a mountainside, you might say, "Well, I know I want the DC to be 15. I want the DC to be 20." You know the chance that you want the player to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. You're not making it like. House rule 35 DC, brother. And, like, everybody has a plus 7 modifier this time. Like, you know that it's going to be impossible, pretty much. That That's still not so much in house rule, though, right there. Okay. That's a, you know, just a DM design decision on mm -hmm. how he wants the encounter to run. Gotcha. What did you say, DM? I said, uh, keeping track of arrows. Yeah, so he said ammunition. Oh, okay. We don't keep track of ammunition. Reason why is the DM doesn't have to keep track of ammunition with his creatures, and the players don't have to keep track of ammunition. And so it just that's seems... not asymmetric. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but, um, an actual house rule that can exist is like our, um, our feet rule, I guess, or our ability point rule in Pathfinder, mm -hmm. where the players power level more so. But I think the DM gets to, uh, again, it's not so much yeah, asymmetric because he gets, gets to build to, better encounters, higher exactly. encounters. Yeah. So I guess, I guess we don't really do it much. We, we can't spend too much time on it, mm -hmm. but I do think there is a good point that players should not get upset with the rules. And if they do, maybe they should be a DM for a little bit. Right. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, one way that I, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's a good sense. learning experience. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. If you're in a, if you're thinking it's big trouble, then why don't you give it a try? Yep. And then you can figure it out. The one oh. other thing I will add to this conversation is that the other thing that you may see by letting your way be the DM is that oftentimes the system doesn't matter as much because, you know, for example, if we're playing a horror-themed D&D... <coughs> Yeah. session right a lot less of the rules are going to come into play because it's going to be more role playing you know generally mm -hmm. so sure um yeah. hey, I'm, I'm just bringing that up because getting to see other players you know having everybody take a turn dming will let you see the system used in different ways and get different flavored uh, campaigns out of it yeah yeah we don't role play that much <coughs> you said don't role play that much we don't i don't think we do you'd be surprised how boring some of those episodes are <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess I guess I think we've actually gone half and half in lightlessness. So we just go stress without and then stretches with. Yeah, and that's really like kind of life anyway. But that's fine. Uh, role playing. Diamondback, we didn't do any battles. That was all. Yeah, I mean, like we've done a lot more, but I think like character-wise too. We're back to the immersion thing so much. Yeah, mm -hmm. we're we're not as caring as we could be about our characters, and that's. Probably goes into a small little segment, which is about time and how time affects games. So, uh, first of all, time affecting games, like, we get to play once every three weeks on average uh, for a total of three and a half hours, four hours, three and a half by the time we get set up. Um, combat, on average, takes about an hour per combat, um, and, and they normally do fit to one episode, which is about an hour. And then we have screw around time and then role playing, which you just brought up. So, I wanted to bring this back to part one, where we did talk about the pacing. And if screw around time and combat time count out for like one hour each and then role playing counts for one hour, and you guys can tell me if that's not the case, 
33% of the time that you play is actually progress through the story, mm -hmm. as far as I can tell. Like, um, time progress through the story. Uh, which means that if you tried to say, like, my campaign's going to take 10 sessions, would it actually take 30 sessions after that rule takes place? Um, I wondered, because these are the types of things we were talking about last time. Like, how many sessions does your game take? How many years does it take? You know, can you know how long it's going to take you guys to get through it? Because this is supposed to be a relatively short campaign, Lightlessness. Like I said, season two should be the final season. Like, this should be... We should be able to get through it and end it by that. But I'm not sure if that's going to last another year or two or what, whatever. Uh, we've been going for only one year and three months now mm -hmm. on Lightlessness, so... Well, a lot of it will have to deal with, uh, like, the DMs pacing, too. Uh, if you... Uh, it's something I noticed today when we were walking... So we're walking down the tunnel today. Yeah. Rather than us, like, say, okay, so we're walking down here, and then we take that time where you start describing... There's wet ceilings, water's dripping from it because the you know the waters came rushing through. Rather than take that time to really like paint like those slow step by step picture, mm -hmm. we just had like okay, you guys are down this tunnel and it opens up in this bigger cavern and you described everything. Now while that created a one to two minute like we understood what was going on, a person who really wanted to or you know like maybe it's their flavor could have sat there and made that be like a 10, 15 minute like. You guys are going down this dungeon with every single little detail, and all of a sudden, like it just builds this world in their brain. For us, I don't think that, like, I mean, I didn't really miss any of it. So, D and D books take about thirty seconds per description. I don't think that adds to time at all. I feel I still think that even if a DM described every single situation, it still would not account for enough time to be noticeable compared to combat time, role playing time, dealing with story, and then screw around time, not dealing with story. Well, what does? come into effect is exploration time, which is not role-playing time, it's not combat time. Screw around time. It's not screw around time. Gotcha. It's, um, you know, like, that tunnel could have been a physical tunnel on the map. You could yeah. have designed it that way, you know, um, as the DM, you could just design, you know, towns and say, okay, where are you guys going? Okay, you're walking down this road, you know, you see these things. Oh, know. I actually counted done. that as role-playing. I, I but, was considering uh, okay, that role playing because how I, else would you guys get up to an hour? Role playing uh, back to you, you were talking about story pacing. Role, that kind of role playing doesn't actually progress the story at all. Gotcha. So therefore, that's kind of extra fluff time on top of the role playing time required to actually get the story to the next plot arc. Gotcha. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So then that is I do consider that screw around time in my what you call it. I okay, actually by consider... screw around time I assumed you meant like. <laughs> He clotheslined them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes and no. I guess I guess screw around time is any time that does not progress the story, and combat does progress the story, but takes a huge chunk of time that it can't be included in role playing. Like but, twenty minutes, I would have spent like staring at this, these tents. I'm really I mean, just talking about D and like, D, the time it takes, and the DM's job to make D and D take a reasonable amount of time, whether or not that's manageable, whether so, or not a reasonable amount of time exists. Yes. I think that just comes with D and D, and I tell I tell like new players and stuff that make a commitment, because the same way when friends of mine ask me if I want to play Civilization with them, yeah, I say I can't make that commitment. I say I already do D and D, I already work. Uh, it, if you if you spent three hours a night, it would probably take you about like two three weeks at least. Really, for one game? For one game. Oh wow, I've never with played a, that. With a couple people, yeah. I mean, I it takes me forever to get a game done. That's uh, crazy. Done, so. With the same thing in D and D, you just have to understand that there is a time commitment, and that it's not the DM's job to rush it or make it slower. If the DM has a story in mind that 
is too long. Like say say that this took us two years and you thought, man, that was too long. Well, we're also probably gonna be level like ten by the time this is done. Maybe then you only have one season per story kind of thing. You know? <laughs> I'm just kidding, Derek. Sorry. No, I, I agree. Um, so I actually think that you got you you stating that brings it back that in our last episode you can't actually plan your plots and things like that because ultimately it just gives into whatever the players end up doing. You just give the time commitment each week because and and which makes me believe I don't believe pacing exists. I don't believe the DM can actually create pacing that works. I think unless the players all just sit there and do whatever the DM says. Well, yeah. like like I said, the DM gets to design how long it takes the players to at minimum get through so the dm wants to force the players to walk through mazes half the time that's going to be significantly mere mazes mere mazes half the time (laughs) that's going to take significantly longer than saying you know okay here's even if this is a you know 10 minute description of this tunnel it's still only 10 minutes of description it's not an hour of finding your way through the tunnel you know or if they need to spend hours researching books and like you know, read that like, book, Sam. Yeah, well, no, dang it. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. as a DM, well, it's only been one day. So we, it's only been one day. I thought okay. about it, but we're busy. Oh man, I forgot to roll my lycanthrope roll this week. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I oh wait. So that means a lot to me. A DM only ever sets the minimum amount of time it takes, not the you know medium right. or mm-hmm. extended, just the minimum amount of time. Right. So well, we already said this. So it will always take longer than what you said, but that's interesting. That it actually really is a minimum. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, well, um, we can back to back into a second tavern talk. Oh, okay. Did I skip something or no? Oh, no, I was going to say this my thing. If that was yeah, well, I'm going to take a quick break. Ding! And we're back. Second tavern talk. Cool. All right, uh, so the second tavern talk is I was wondering, and this is just a single topic, so we might want to just expand a little bit longer on this. Um, I was talking to a gentleman on the train today. He's never played, or not today, uh, this week. And he was, ta- he was telling me that he's never played D&D before. Um, and I actually make a re- I made a recommendation to him, uh, if he knows people who play D&D, that this is what a DM could do to include a new player to see if they feel like they would enjoy it for the day. And this is something that actually based off of what DM Sam did uh, with Pumpkin Spice, and you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, have the player be an NPC for the day. Um, you did this when Jeremy came back, uh, just for because his character was dead. But for a new player, the DM could feed that player information. The player doesn't need to know what's going on with the rest of the story. The player has a pivotal point in the party. Alliterations aside. Uh, they, if, if they do have any questions, they can ask the DM, the DM can tell them what to say, and the player has to roleplay this character because you are an NPC. Mm-hmm. So the DM can say, you know, if you were supposed to guide these people down this area, you have this information that they need, um, it's your job, you know, if you say like you're, you're like a young like person or like an older person, you know, you might have like these kind of character traits, but this is what you are. Right. What do you guys think about that kind of idea to introduce a new player to see if they even like D&D? I think it's probably a lot better than trying to be like, okay, well, here's uh, the book. Here's your character sheet. Here's how you fill it out. Two hours later, you know, you guys have created a character. And then you throw them in. Um, although they might not know all their powers and stuff. So, but... I have to just try to come up with a counter-argument. It obviously sounds like a good idea. Mm-hmm. But... We are almost throwing a player into being a DM first instead of a player first, kind of. 
because he's kind of co-DMing. He's sitting and getting information fed. He may be getting like overwhelmed by like how much is going on. So to take that idea to say that like even that is too overwhelming for a player and he should start. The, my, my, my point would be what would be better for a player would be to either A, start a campaign from scratch or B, play the D&D board game. Um, yeah, but would think, be my counter argument for those two things. Whether or not those are better we can talk about. But I think Matt was saying like if you already have a group going when your buddy's moves back from college mm-hmm. and he's like, oh, I'll try it out. Instead of crafting a whole new story for him or anything, just here's a character, here's how you play him. You want to join us for a night? I'm just trying to come up. With I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also I was thinking that you could also see because different. If we brought a new person into this group, they might not enjoy our group as much as somebody else, or somebody might say, you know, this looks really interesting. It sounds really interesting, but I'm not into this certain thing or like I don't think I could sit here and, and watch somebody do a battle yep. they might get bored so it's better to have them be bored and then easily removed as an NPC Sorry, I have no this is it I still think that's too far and wrong and what you need to do is you take your smartphone and you record a podcast of your play session <laughs> and you hand it to them and say are you willing to sit through an hour of our play session to see what it's like and hear what it's like that way you don't have to sit here and get overwhelmed by everything. You literally just get like a taste of it. You know what I mean? And then they'll know exactly how you play, what it's like, on their own time. You don't have to worry about bringing them into the group to have them leave again or, you know, learn things and take up the group's time. You know, you actually get like a commitment from people to say like, oh, wow, that's a lot. I, I, I didn't know what D&D was like. No one knows what D&D is like until you play it. And then they listen to it and they're like, yeah, I don't know if I'm really interested in all that, all that stuff that you did. I don't forget, there's a, there's a uh, visual. visual aspect of this that you don't get listening to it. And it's easier for us, to you it's second nature because mm-hmm. this is what you do. But sorry, go ahead, Reed. I mean, so I am going to argue against it. I'm going to start off on the basis of Jeremy as a certain character if we're trying to avoid spoilers, which is what it sounded like Matt was trying to do. Um, Jeremy as Isn't an NPC kept on... They may not have listened to it, uh, regardless. Okay. Um, Jeremy, at a couple points, said, okay, I will do this. And it had to keep on going, uh, no, 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 you don't do this. You oh, know, yeah, the because player could the NPC, get a lot of slaps on the hand. Yeah. yeah. Which you don't so want at all. You, you don't want the player being told, no, you can't do this at all, you know? That's true. Right. Um, which is why I'm concerned about it. Two things. One... I think that new players starting the game is rare enough that you could just say, hey guys, I got a new guy who's interested in joining. You want to just do a one-off session for That's this guy. That's what I was guy. talking about. Not a new and, campaign. You know, we'll that. just all make level one characters. That way he just we can just hand him a basic kit, you know, and he can get the experience of it. And then if he wants to join for full-time, we can just, you know, have him worked into the main campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is the same kind of idea with the main campaign just you know say look i'm gonna help you make your character i'll give it to you and then go over it with you and that way you don't have to spend two hours building it you know you can just hop right in and you can design his personality you can design you know everything about it i'll just get the rules for you that you want Mm -hmm. and then if he decides he doesn't want to he's easy enough to drop you know out of you just stole my idea twice. My first one was the one-shot idea. My second one was the board game, which is basically creating a character sheet for you. Uh, but, I mean, 
Yes and no. <laughs> okay. You, you didn't market them like that. <laughs> I didn't market them like that. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. That's fine. But yeah, I, I'm with you on that. But on on the other side of the coin is huge time commitment to take away from your group to do that one shot, and then even to start them out like a real player. Obviously, it, is it a huge commitment though? Like I said, this is rare. This is a rare enough occurrence, you know, that a break from your main main campaign may not be a problem. We should really set a thesis here. How can you best capture new players? That would be our thesis. If your job was to steal people and get them to hire on to play D and D with you, what would be the best way to do? And that's what you're going for, Matt. Obviously, like like you wanted that guy to get into D and D, right? You weren't. That's well, the point of this. Well, no, the thing is, he even told me that he was into D&D, or that he wanted to play, and a yeah. lot of people feel that. They feel like it's a daunting, I've seen a little Josh bit on Hansen. Big Bang Theory, you know, I've, I oh, hear geez. about it. No, it's, I hate Big Bang Theory because I'm like, this is my life, I don't see why it's funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's funny. But, like, seriously, a lot of people, they, it's like, it's this, it's this world that they've heard about that since the 80s, it's like this kind of like counter, it's not counterculture, but like it's, it's this other side of like the geek culture that people haven't been able to like commit to or figure out. It's a lot of time commitment and it's an in-person thing for the most part. Um, if I had to capture a new player, more than likely I would just do the same thing I normally do where I would just talk to people about D&D, I would offer if they want to play. And that's with the group of three people, you know, I just said, hey, do you guys want to do this? I'm more than happy to run a campaign. The one guy's like, I think my brother, my cousin would really like to play it too. I said, well, you, you tell them to get their time commitment figured out. I'm more than happy to run a one shot, more than happy to run like, you know, a couple sessions for them. And that's all I said. But, yeah. but because of that, like... So you've done this in theory. You're the only one who's brought along new players, actually. I mean, I brought along Josh Hansen. A little bit, but he wasn't well, you completely me new. <laughs> yeah, well, you Josh Hansen, Matt, Josh Lee, um, Sean K. John, yeah, Kelly. Sean, JP. Yeah, well, I, I guess not recently is what I'm talking about. <laughs> so Matt, Matt's approach has been starting new campaign up for new players. Yes. Um, but it's also full groups that are new. Full groups are new, which is actually beneficial in itself. Mm-hmm. Let's wrap it up with just everyone. How would you capture a new player? Jeremy. <sighs> you alone. You don't have us. You're capturing a new player. You're the DM. Assumably, unless you want to make them the DM. You can do whatever you want with no, them. No, you don't make a new player in the DM. That's okay. a bad idea. No. So how do you yeah, capture a new player? The DM, You're in Japan. To... You're funny. No. The Japanese kids come up to you. They would never go. Anyway, regardless. <laughs> Dungeon Dragons catching, a new, <laughs> catching a new player as the DM, I would just... I think starting them out as an NPC might be okay. Uh, even though you do have a good point with the hand slapping thing so then in that case just a one shot then just a new fresh one shot new fresh one shot okay read not ready sam depends on how much time they have um because if they this player has three hours so we can put a watch ball on three hours to be captured okay yeah then i would just kind of get some ideas of what they want make their character for them and then throw them in read you ready or an ultra ball. Honestly, I don't know if I would even take the three-hour option. I think that I would ask for more from them, and then if they fall off after the first session, then so be it. Okay. I think I'm still sticking with I would make any new player first listen to the podcast. Uh, and I, I, was, <laughs> it's I interesting didn't get a chance to say it, but yeah. I disagree with that. I think I don't know that why. viewing is a lot different from playing. Yeah. 
I think it's significantly different from playing. Yeah. yeah, I think my only issue is, again, like, I'm always just like, you have to show me first you're willing. And this is something, like, me and you have argued about. Yeah. Like, like if you listen to it, I'll walk you through the rest of it. But if you don't... Oh, so after the listen to it, which it only takes an hour of my three hours... Make them watch it on, on YouTube, just so that it's a visual... Oh, yeah, watch it on Twitch. I don't really care. Yeah. I just want them to Make them be willing to... In the game. Correct. I want them to be willing to consume it before they actually play the game. And if, if they consume it and see what it is... Because I feel like a lot of people don't get what it is. And it's not for a lot of people. And that's that's my complaint here. That I actually think less... Pe- it's like got a, a 5% conversion rate. Sorry, Wizards. I think it's got a 5% conversion rate. It's D&D. You know? For, for the amount of people who are willing, only 5% will turn into D&D players. And a D&D player is someone who continues to play D&D till the day they die. Like that's, that's really what D&D players are. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think you ever grow out of it. I don't think you ever, you know, what you call it. So, that's my thing. So, good. Thank you, Matt, for that topic. Did anyone yeah, feel like what? they didn't get a closing statement on it? Or? Time for talk I will just say this. Um, I may not run combat in the first session. Oh, I didn't get to say that. Darn it, Reed. We're, yeah. we're right here the whole time. I was going to say I would play verbal D&D with them. I said when I realized I had two more hours, I'd say spend one hour consuming Spend 20 minutes with me playing verbal D&D. Like, no rules, no, no, no nothing. Like, show me that like you're you're not uncomfortable with this. And then I was going to take them into roll 20 with macros for the next hour and do macro combat where they can just click stuff and attack without having to roll any dice and, like, know any rules. And then, yeah. Boring. <laughs> no, but... Um, okay, boring for Sam. The, the reason I say first session no combat at all is simply because I would argue that Perhaps the majority of people that play role-playing games don't play D&D, and therefore most systems do not have good combat. I because would, combat is not the focus. Okay, I would argue against that just because the first session should be split between role-playing and at least a small combat to let them have a break because if you have somebody who's never role-played before that long, they might feel overwhelmed. So having a small... Uh, Small role play, small combat to like get like that little break for them, and then the small role play again, like to be like, you did it, you helped somebody, and then they feel more invested and they don't feel as talk, 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 talk. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, there's well, a couple things there you can deal with, but I, I think I think I actually like Matt's point, so I don't want to debate it any further. I like both of your points, yeah. but I, I like Matt's point as it stands too because I think there's something to definitely be said about that, and I want to end the tavern talk. So, Bye. sorry guys, uh, we, we can pick this up another time if you guys want to. We'll just keep doing like part one into half because our first part one was a half of an episode about one thing and then a part one about another thing. So this is just the same thing. We'll just like come back next time for the second half. Clitful? Cl- Cliffhanger. 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 Thank you. Cliffhole? Coat hangers. Yeah, Cliffhole. Coat hangers. Pitfall. Jeremy, I just need to say goodbye and thank you to everyone. Say that. I'm only going to get to do one sentence or one session. No, I, I wanted you to talk in Japanese. No. You play D&D. That means you're willing to speak in front of others. <laughs> Dude, this went out to 1,600 different people in the month of April. 1,600 different people. And only 800 what? of them are clickbots. I'm serious, yeah. <laughs> even, even if we account for 75% of them being clickbots, which I don't think actually exists on podcasts. I don't know if that's true. I'm not sure how that works. Because our website hits are still very low, so it's not like things that are coming on the website and downloading them. These are things that are grabbing feeds and downloading them. Um, but maybe they download them and then upload them to other feeds. Okay, so anyway, even if 700, 75% of them, 75% of 1,600 is 1,200? 1,200, yeah. So 400 people. You're in front of them right now. Jeremy's sweating. His face is getting so red. Oh, gosh. There's at least Matane. Matane.